We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moon Sand Roots Podcast. This episode 74, 70 something. Who knows? Episode 74 of the, the Moose News Podcast. We're in the 70s. We're, we're into those offensive linemen numbers. We're, 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 oh, we've we're, been in those for a while. We're hanging in the right-left tackle range right now. So uh, I believe it is episode 74. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Moose News Podcast. The Jeremy Adams by, episode of We're Doing Wesleyan Numbers. Let's not do that. Joined, <laughs> by, <laughs> joined by Matt Rooney. I'm Joe Musso. We got a ton of stuff to get to today, guys. Uh, but before we jump right into it, uh, Matt, you didn't divulged to me what it was but I, I, I couldn't you, you put it out there you said hey there's there's a big announcement coming this week on the moose and Roots podcast i don't know if we're getting paid i don't know if, if oh you, god if no you, if you found ad money for us i don't know what your uh what the announcement is but the floor is yours for said announcement i have done something joe that you said you i would never do that you said i would never actually follow through with i mm. finished the godfather <gasps> bravo i watched it I the start to, I, start to finish, or did you like leave? You I, picked pick, up no, where so you left I, off? I picked up where I left off. I knew exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. I'd actually, it, ironically enough, had it on a couple weeks ago before leading, leaving for a Notre Dame game, and had mm-hmm. to leave for the game at the same exact spot I stopped watching last time. So I actually had a nice little refresher, knew exactly where it was, and I had picked up where I left off, and then followed through and finished the Godfather, like I said I would, like you said but, I never would. Now, because because it's not like a full viewing experience okay, yeah, like let's that. Just, let's pick take holes this in my argument. Grid. I just no 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 no. I I I know that's the best we're gonna get out of you. But yeah, exactly. It's three hours. It's, it's I need uh, I need uh, I need the Moose and Runes listeners to take this with a grain of salt. But Matt, give us your uh, your final takeaways from The Godfather. Obviously, people regard it as one of the greatest pieces of film of all time. And I feel like through your early viewing, you were underwhelmed. I. I remained a little bit underwhelmed. Um, I'm not going not that it was a bad movie because it wasn't a bad movie, but I think the bar was I think the bar was set too high yeah, for sometimes me. Sometimes that happens. And my my it. issue with The Godfather is that there wasn't really like a, a plot leading up to a like plot leading up to a climax and like a fall down. It's just kind of like, hey, this happened. Okay, let's fast forward three years. This happened. Okay, let's fast forward three years. This happened, and Michael closes the door. And you know, like it's it's cool. It was a good movie. There's cool moments, but like the story wasn't quite there for me. I guess that's why I should watch Godfather Two because everybody says that's you know arguably the best one of the series. So maybe I should it's, advance to it. But do you get what I'm saying? It's another great movie. Yes, do you get what I, I'm saying? I, not that I agree with what you're saying, but you I don't understand have to agree. But you understand the, nar- the narrative structure isn't yeah. as um, as arced as. Some I was, Disney movies yeah, I that was you might enjoy. No, shut up. I was expecting some build up to some, you know, big. There just wasn't really. Didn't really build. You were up looking for. You were looking for the denouement. That, that's, I don't know that's what that what means. You're looking for that, that's that vocab. Means rising that's action. That's the vocab word. Denouement. Okay, just um, use English. Then, okay, this is English. So you're gonna go. You need an inciting incident. You then need the denouement, and then I'm trying to think what the. Please what the, stop talking in French. After what just right. happened last weekend, you're gonna come here talking <laughs> French on this podcast. That would be. That would be a perfect segue into Ryder Cup talk, but we got to lead off with our Bears, Maddie. We got to lead off with the 45-point Bears. I had no idea what I was watching. Um, I I know you're going to give me a hard time. 48, excuse me. Actually, I'm Um, not going to give you a hard time. I'm not, because... Okay, well then thank you, because... Because like... I'll talk, I'll talk now. Um, (laughs) Because like what I said last week about how this is going to be a season-long development and we can't get too caught up in one bad week... We also yeah. can't get caught up too caught up in one good week. Mitch Trubisky did exactly what he should have done against the. Grant it was a very good pass, right? A good, a good, solid front seven. Terrible secondary. Mm-hmm. He did what he should have done. He torched them. He found all of his open receivers. You can count, you know, on one hand the, the throws where you'd say you wanted to have him back. I don't think there. I think there's one that really sticks in my head. He had like a ten yard out that he kind of overthrew, but it was out of bounds and, and no harm, no foul. Um, he played really well. He put balls exactly where they needed to be. Uh, it was nice to see him hit that Taylor Gabriel seam route on the exact same play that he missed in Monday Night Football. And I, I think this was a confidence builder for him going forward. Obviously, his confidence is going to be sky high. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. it's actually nice to have the bye week. So he has two weeks to build on this as much as some people want to see him back on the field. 
having two weeks to feel good about yourself about this performance, probably a good thing. But that said with us, it, it's a year long thing. And just like I can't get too low after awful performance against Arizona, I can't get too high after five first half you know, touchdown passes against I, I I totally agree with that. And I think what you said there is very important with the bye week because Mitch is not only not only has a bye week an extra six days to prepare for the next team, but if he was feeling himself a little bit after that Sunday, which he should have been, you don't lose Monday, Tuesday wrapped up in a past performance. You know, mm-hmm. you could have, have that good feeling and, and, and party it up a little bit. Not party it up, but I mean, celebrate your success that week. Um, but you have enough time to then put that behind you, regain focus, and, and move forward. Um, we we talked about um, we talked about the Bears being uh, four and one going into uh, in, into the New England game because I believe that's in Chicago, correct? Yeah, they're uh, coming here. It's a home game, so um, one went away from that, and and all things kind of headed in the right direction. But uh, with Mitch's performance last week, it is a point of. Um, it does encourage you, you know, there hasn't been many encouraging signs out of Mitch and just the way that things have gone in the early going, despite the success in the win loss column. We saw like individual flashes, but we never had that sustained for an entire game. Exactly. It was sustained the entire game and he got off on a on the right note, which I think is very important for any young quarterback to have a successful first few drives. But then he he maintained that he sustained that throughout the game. And that's what we had not seen yet from Mitch. I'm not going to take anything away from the, uh, the physical success that Trubisky had on field, but he was put in fantastic positions to succeed on Sunday. Yeah, I thought oh, absolutely. Matt, I, I thought Matt Nagy's play calling was unbelievable. I thought that uh, on on those six touchdown passes, five of them were can't miss. The only one that was kind of a contested throw was the little shorty out to the right side, and even that was a great play design. But uh, I thought the uh, uh, the ball the second one, the ball to Allen Robinson was a perfect throw. Allen Robinson was a very that nice was ball, a fantastic throw that he had to put in in an area and trust his receiver is going to get there. Put it exactly. The Burton ball play design was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The Tariq play design was fantastic. So I think that we're also not only starting to see sustained sustained success out of Mitch, but we're starting to see sustained success out of the play calling. They're kind of opening things up here in week four and we're starting to see some signs of um matt naggy ingenuity i know that one's considered a, a touchdown pass to um gabriel to, to gabriel coming across but i mean call it what you want it's just fantastic design to get everything moving that way you got a bunch of linebackers with their feet stuck in the ground and taylor gabriel's already full speed head to the outside that's you know that's just fantastic play call and those are things that you not only want to see from your quarterback, but you want to see that sort of development and growth out of the play calling and out of your coaching staff. So I was very happy with that as well. And it's something that isn't getting talked about enough, in, in my opinion, and obviously I'm going to be the one to bring this up. Um, I think Mitch had all the time in the world to throw the ball yes. on Sunday yeah. too. And we, we finally saw James Daniels get a little bit of run at left guard. Um, I, he didn't play the whole game. He came in, uh, I want to say, around midway through the first quarter, maybe start of the second. I thought he played really well. The offensive line gave him a clean pocket the whole game. Had a little bit of trouble run blocking, but Jordan Howard didn't get that many carries, which I'm actually okay with because I think, you know, less carries now, they're still going to need him down the stretch, especially if this Absolutely. is a team that's, that's the if this is a team that's like they're showing they can be, a team that's contending for the playoffs, contending for the division. There are going to be games down the road where, you know, they're not able to do everything through the air, where they're going to have to line up and, and run between the tackles, and Jordan Howard's still going to be needed. And this will keep him a little bit more fresh. I know he's probably not thrilled he only got, I think, what was it, five carries, but that's just going to be the nature of the beast in this offense. But that offensive line kept Mitch clean for the most part all day. Against, say what you want about that secondary, that's that's a very good defensive line and a very good linebacking core. So that that front seven is no uh, no walk in the park for them to to control like they did on Sunday. Obviously, here, this is my disclaimer. You can't do anything without protection. Hey, that's um, nice of you to say. <laughs> but uh, not only did the front line come to play, but you, you mentioned that kind of tandem of running backs, Jordan Howard not getting as many touches the other night. I'm okay with that as well. But I think this was Tariq Cohen's, uh, I don't want to call it a coming out party, but it might be the most complete game we saw out of Tariq um, this week in his young career as well, uh, both rushing the ball and out of the backfield. Um, I think, you know, we've been saying it, we've been kind of beating a dead horse with it. If he's used correctly, he could be super dangerous. And, uh-huh. and as as this playbook opens up, I think that you see more, uh, more and more how Tariq Cohen does fit into this offensive scheme. 
Yeah, you're seeing how, especially Taylor Gabriel, too, it's something we touched on the day they hired Matt, or the podcast after they hired Matt Nagy. He knows how to use these types of players and kind of maximize their potential. I mean, Taylor Gabriel's getting as many jet sweep handoffs as he is mm-hmm. reception. So Matt Nagy knows how to use their, their size and their speed to their advantage, to his offense's advantage, and use them in creative ways. And, it, again, it showed more than any other uh, Sunday against Tampa. Defensively, uh, obviously, it's. I was going to say on the other side of the ball, the word Khalil, name Khalil Mack, but just strip hold sack. Another strip sack. Uh, that's fine. Strip sack, sack. The pressure was great. It was. Uh, it, we can't take it for granted. This is something that we're starting to get used to on a week to week basis, and uh, we're lucky to have such a dominant defense. Uh, I, I know it was. It's not just the Bears, and it's it's not just the Bucks, but I feel like the league just league wide with the way that offenses are uh, evolving and the way that wide receivers are evolving and getting bigger and stronger and faster. It's hard to find really good back end talent. And uh, obviously Eddie Jackson's had a nice start to the season. Um, the corners at times have left things to be desired, but they're starting to come around a little bit. This is the most complete defensive group in the league in my eyes. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen everybody, uh, you know, as, as intently as I've seen the Bears, but it, it, I'm hard-pressed to think of one that's playing better football and has more talent throughout each position than the Bears do. And that's, that's I mean, the Rams maybe, but the Rams also don't have an edge rusher. Their mm-hmm. pass rush comes from, you know, the interior, which is a little bit easier to game plan for. I know how good Aaron Donald is, but the addition of Khalil Mack to this defense has just made everybody that much better. It really has. And uh, I know that uh, I know it, it took a lot for me not to jump on it, but uh, I don't know if you saw the, the tweet earlier in the week during, uh, during the wild card game. Kyle Fuller was in the stands, and uh, Kyle Fuller apparently barehanded a foul ball, caught it, and gave it to a little kid. Oh, that's good. Um, so, so Kyle Fuller has the ability to catch foul balls, yeah. but uh, not Aaron Rodgers' interceptions okay well you know we're, we're, i needed to get that off my chest i didn't tweet fair. it i that's decided fair. not to tweet it we're a three and one but that first, was just me. I, I, we're, we are we've been on we, we were on to seattle right after that game so we're, we're not going back to green bay we were on to seattle um that that's the one thing too uh, i think that in the past bears have been extremely streaky uh, in their winning and their losing i think that uh they're too torn by the highs and lows of the season and like you just kind of mentioned this is a team that was able to shake off a gut-wrenching loss, a loss that a lot of people were talking about being the worst in franchise history. Chris and, Collinsworth said, and I, I, on, on air, it could on the be a season ender. Set them back a hundred years. A hundred years, yeah. And all they've done I, is I, I know back that, and win three in a row. I know that that was all hyperbole, but it is tough after something like that to bounce back and, and win three in a row like that, and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, uh, I mean, more credit to them. That's a huge credit to the coaching staff. Obviously, that's a great credit to the leadership in the locker room. Um, and to Khalil Mack because they still have him. The Bears and, now travel to the undefeated Dolphins. No, they're, they're, uh, they've been defeated. They've been defeated. Did, yeah, did, yeah. They did lost you not, last did week. Did you not catch? They the lost last week. Like last week. Oh, that was such a bad loss that I'm not even counting it. It was. Uh, <laughs> they were defeated <laughs> quite handily. They were a no show against uh, against uh, the, the Pats, and I think the Pats are also starting to turn a corner as well. So it was the perfect storm of. Tom Brady having the ultimate uh, mental real estate on anything and everything Miami Dolphin uh, yep. in that game, which leads us to a, a perfect segue. Why don't we do a quick NFL whip around before we get to some other topics here, Matt? Works for me. All right. Uh, I need to pull up the scores here, or that would be uh, helpful. All right. We kick I things off. I think my favorite third. part of this week is getting to play the NFL primetime. Uh, we get to kick things off with uh, Vikings and Rams, that Thursday night game. The Rams pulled out a 38 to 31 victory over the Vikings. Uh, it was Those are two good teams still. I think the Vikings are. The Vikings are, are better than their record. Exactly. The Vikings are struggling to find their way a little bit. The Rams uh, at home, it was. Uh, a quick turnaround and to score 38 points on a quick turnaround uh, a short week uh, can't knock that I still think the Rams are the team to beat right now in the NFL I honestly think I might have picked the wrong Rams for MVP at this point I, I picked Doug yeah. early right now it's looking like Jared Goff some of the throws he made uh, you dropping him into Robert Woods over two defenders mm-hmm. arms just absolutely perfect they're, they're only going to get more fun to watch 
Yep. Uh, definitely, definitely a fun team to watch, as you said. Buccaneers, Bears. We know what happened there. Bears, Bears 48, are back. Buccaneers, 10. Bears are back. Fully back. Bengals, Falcons. Tried to tell you. 37 to 36. A hard-pounding finish with a game-winning A.J. Green touchdown pass. The Bengals known for being uh, whatever the opposite of clutch is coming through uh, down the stretch against a now 1-3 Falcons team. The Bengals moved to 3-1. and one. Uh, It was one of the more fun games I think I watched on Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. I still think the Falcons are good and get figure out a way to get it all together. The Bengals are, this is one of their up years. They seem to go back and forth, and I'm very excited to see them lose in the wild card round like they always do. Cowboys and Lions. Cowboys win 26-24. Cowboys move to 2-2 two two on the season. Just a really, really fantastic performance by Ezekiel Elliott. 25 carries, 152 yards. One of the, if not the best, pure ball carriers in the league. Uh, always fun to watch. You you took Ezekiel Elliott out of this, which you're more than welcome to. You had an awesome game. One under-the-radar performance. I think it's been an under-the-radar career, especially the last couple of years. Golden Tate went off. Yeah. Eight receptions, 132 yards, two touchdowns. This isn't just the Notre Dame fan in me, but he has been fantastic. Ever since he signed with Detroit, people thought you know they overpaid for him. So he started succeeding early. They said, oh, that's because of Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson retires. He's still tearing it up. Golden Tate might be one of the more underrated talents in the NFL. Absolutely. And it sets up perfectly for them to score 25 points a game, him to get 100 yards receiving, and them to find a loss somewhere within it. Absolutely. The Lions, the Lions perfect can, Lions football. The Lions are capable of beating anybody in any given week and capable of losing to anybody on any given week. Uh, Packers and Bills. Packers blank the Bills 22 to nothing, moving to 2-1 and one on the season. I know that Aaron Rodgers is dinged up, and I know that Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, they're going to I think they're going to squeak out a lot of wins. I think they're going to win ugly in some instances. Uh, only scored six points in the second half on a pair of field goals. So that offense not really humming, but uh, still finding a way to win football games. Uh, the Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers uh, it's saga so, continues. It's uh, so hopefully, weird. Hopefully there's a little strife there. And that can, uh, Do they take hate away, each other? Take away I from honestly, the task at hand. Uh, those it doesn't bother not, me. It, it, I, I love it if they do. I kind of hope oh. they but like. For a team that wins as much as they do, those two just do not seem to get along or see eye to eye on just about anything, and they let each other know about it in the media. Titans and Eagles. The Titans putting the NFL on notice. We're here to play some football. They win 26-23 to in a fourth-quarter finisher. Marcus Mariota uh, hitting Corey Davis on a 10-yard touchdown pass uh, just before the end of overtime. Yeah, that was an OT winner. Excuse me, not a, a, yeah, a overtime winner. winner there. Love, uh, love the play call from Mike Vrabel. He had the, the field goal team out there, called the timeout, decided to go for it on fourth and short, worked out. Titans and are not going to go as far as to say they're, they're the Jaguars of last year, but they're a fun team who are capable of winning a lot of football games. We, we've talked about it in the past, uh, the idea, the notion of buy-in, and I think that Vrabel's got these guys playing for him 100% 100 miles an hour. And, uh that's good stuff right there. Texans and Colts, 37-34 in another OT finisher. The Texans finally get in the win column against the lowly Colts team, 37-34. to Kind of the same. I almost just threw up there. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. That would have not made for great content. <laughs> Andrew Luck threw the ball 62 times. You're not going to yeah, win for the Colts I, and Andrew Luck's throwing the ball 62 times. That shoulder must not be bugging him too much. Um, interesting but he play call the from Mary. Frank Reich there in overtime. Uh, mm-hmm. I, at the time, I was highly critical of it, but after hearing kind of what he said in the postgame tech press conference with where the Colts are as a team and kind of as a franchise, I'm fine with it. You know, you, you have... Yeah. You had a chance to go win the game. You're probably not a team that's going to the playoffs. And if you are, you're not going to get there with ties. you got to go out and win football games against a divisional opponent at home. He went out and tried to win a football game. Didn't work. Dolphins and Patriots, as we said, 38-7. to Patriots come away slapping the Dolphins in the face, moving to 3-1. and Patriots move to 2-2. Two and two. My takeaway in this one is that uh, Sony Michelle, I think, emerged as... I think he emerged as the uh, go-to back in New England, but we know that those things change overnight. So I think he's the the soup du jour. Again, I'm going French. I don't know what's going on. He's uh, the writer comes in your brain. It could be. He's the uh, the main takeaway for me. Sonny Michelle, 25 carries, 112 yards. Yeah, he was again fantastic. I, I would tend to lean towards him not just being the the soup of the day there in New England. I'm going to stick American. Um, mm-hmm. I think because I mean they took a first round pick on him, so they highly they, they clearly view him pretty highly, uh, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to be around for a little while. James White though is, too is one of the more underrated backs. I think in the NFL, all he does is produce out of the backfield as well. 
Yeah, 68 receiving yards out of James White. Uh, I'm hoping Sony Michelle breaks out because I got him on both of my leagues in uh, in late rounds. So shout oh, out well, to me as a like fantasy it. manager. We all Jaguars care. and Jaguars and Jets. I'm, see, I'm not the talk about fantasy guys, so let's just stay away from it. You Jaguars and Jets. I know. I had to drop it in there. It made me feel smart. Jaguars and Jets. The Jags come away victorious, 31 to 12. Blake Bortles. Uh, I think one of his bigger stat lines with 388 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the Jaguars defense obviously coming up big again. Um, shut out in the first half. Allowed 12 there in the second half, but going to be a great toss for them this week in Kansas City. Yeah, I, we kind of talked about it when we were picking locks of the week and stuff this week because I think this one was floated out around there. I don't really know what to make of the Jaguars this year. They, they look great mm-hmm. one week, and then they kind of conquer the next. Uh, this was one of the good-looking weeks, and the Jets aren't. Uh, the team we saw Monday night against the Lions to open the season. Yeah, the Jets aren't good, I think. you could. The Jets are who we thought they were. <laughs> Raiders and Browns. Raiders 45, Browns 42. Another OT thriller. Uh, the new kid, I forget his last name. Some of them. I don't know, but the kicker for the Raiders. We don't remember his kicker's names that well, especially when they're uh, signed during the week. Uh, missed two kicks, but then up hit, ends up hitting a game winner. Uh, referees with a couple tough spots, a couple tough calls in this one. The Browns could conceivably be undefeated. They've had a chance to win every single game, and they're 1-2-1, one, one, unfortunately. Well, it's, it's going to be growing pains for them. they got some talent. I think we, we talked about that uh, on our NFL season preview. There's definitely some talent there. They're just There are a lot of young, talented guys. It's just going to take a lot of time to gel together. Baker Mayfield looks good, made some rookie mistakes. Derek Carr is quietly, I, I know the, the Raiders have been bad. Derek Carr is quietly having one of the better seasons in really nice bounce back year for him and I think working with a guy like John Gruden offensive minded head coach really helped him but I think you said it earlier the the refs absolutely lost Cleveland and came here down the stretch with a couple awful calls I think it's really important to see what Carr does too because anytime he's had a solid week like he did last uh, he's regressed the following Mm -hmm. week he hasn't been able to you know stack these wins up and stack these good games up and uh I think that's what John Gruden needs to see to be convinced that this is his quarterback of the future. So, Pat, I do one quick thing about this game. I saw mm-hmm. a tweet afterwards. I think it was a Raiders reporter, a national reporter, was saying, you know, John Gruden was – they saw John Gruden in the coach's tunnel or a coach's room when they are getting post-game sound, scrolling through his phone, and caught John Gruden saying – he had another strip sack. Khalil Mack had another strip sack, man. I thought Come he was on. a football player, man. We still had him on my team, man. That's and now we can move on because that was you just- did have him on your team, John. But thank you, Seahawks and Cardinals. Seahawks twenty, Cardinals seventeen. Uh, Cardinals move ahead to zero and four. Yuck! And uh, the Seahawks at two and two. Um, I really don't have a major takeaway here. Yeah, the, I, I the game. I saw much of this one. I actually didn't see any of this one because it was the Josh Rosen. Because uh, the game Josh happened. Rosen Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen looked fine. Uh, yeah, he didn't turn the ball over. I don't believe. Uh, Fifteen to twenty-seven, one eighty touchdown, efficient. I mean, he's gonna take some time, but I think he's okay. And that's about all that happened in this game. Saints and Giants. Saints thirty-three. Giants eighteen. Uh, my takeaway here is that there is. Uh, f- there are a few teams uh, in recent memory that are underperforming the way that the Giants are with the type of talent they have on the offensive side of the ball, at least. I really think, uh, I, I, know, I know the stat line doesn't tell the story, but I really think Eli Manning is stunting the growth of this young talent at this point. Uh, I think they need to move on from Eli Manning. Not only that, but you, know, you, you jokingly gave credit to it earlier. This is an example of a team without an offensive line with all the offensive weapons yep. in the world. They just can't get anything going. On the other side of the ball, other side of the sideline, field, whatever you want to call it, um, Alvin Kamara is... I think putting himself. I, I don't think he's going to win the NL, F, uh, NFC MVP, but he's putting himself. <laughs> His batting in that, average is fantastic. He's putting himself in that category. He had, uh, 19 carries, 134 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. I didn't see his uh, his receiving stat line, but he's usually good for about seven or eight catches too. He is as good of a back, as good of a weapon out of the backfield. I think there is in the NFL along with Todd Gurley. And uh, not to mention that they now get uh, Ingram back into the fold too, as a little bit. It's of only going to help as a little bit of a change up. Uh, so, Alvin Kamara, they call him they call him Triple Triple Crown Kamara. Far off there. Chargers and 49ers, the Chargers win in another thriller, 29 to 27. CJ Buffett doing everything he can to keep those Niners in the game. Uh, a late turnover and a couple bad calls uh, nipped the Niners in this one as well. But I was uh, all in all very impressed with the way that CJ Buffett came out and played with a depleted set of uh, offensive assets on his own accord. Uh, he's 
He's down multiple wide receivers. He's down a starting running back, and uh, they're obviously down Jimmy Garoppolo. The Niners still, you know, competitive, but not able to get in that win column. Uh, they moved to one and three. Chargers to two and two. Uh, they played at a soccer stadium. That's the take. Yeah, uh, I think it was Isaac Rochelle had a had a fumble recovery late in the game that if he would have ran it all the way back, he would have covered the eight points. Rochelle, he was, Rochelle. He was, he was tackled. Yeah, the, the announcer used the same exact <laughs> lines. So don't sound so creative. Um, they needed out. They didn't cover, and I didn't cover. So that's my take. Ravens and Steelers. What's new? Twenty six to fourteen. The Ravens go into uh, into Pittsburgh, come away with the victory, kind of dominantly. Team. Another team wildly underperforming in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Joe Flacco doing uh, mid-season Joe Flacco things, a pair of touchdown passes, and then the best kicker in the game with four second-half field goals. Justin Tucker uh, getting the Ravens across the finish line. Again, shout-out to my fantasy team. We're, we're talking kickers. We just said we don't talk about kick mid-seat or mid-week pickups in terms of kickers in the Raiders game. I'll happily talk about Justin Tucker. There was, there was a line, I think, Al Michaels said something along the lines of like Justin Tucker. I think it was never missed an extra point. And Chris no, Collins, hasn't. Chris yeah. Collinsworth was like, ah, oh, you know, don't let's, you know, let's not jinx him or something along the lines of you know, don't don't count your chickens. And Al Michaels was like, yeah, I, I think I'm okay with it. And then I right after right right that, they took the snap and Tucker drilled one right down the middle. Ravens yeah, we look good though. The, the Ravens never... look like the Ravens of old, and last year's, you know, last two years teams aren't really. We're just an anomaly a little bit. I think it's hard to uh, look at a kicker's resume and say, oh, that's a Hall of Fame guy, especially early on in their career. Obviously, Adam Benatini is going to be first ballot just because of things he's done in massive moments, uh, becoming the, the highest uh, score. He surpassed some uh, milestone. I, I, I forgot what milestone he is, but he it did. Wasn't the, it wasn't the scoring record because he's a few points off uh, Anderson, I believe, still in that, and he's going to pass that. I think, he, years, I think he became number two or something like that. Field goals made or something like that. Right? Yeah. Justin Tucker's kind of the next in that lineage of Hall of Fame kickers, not to put the cart in front of the horse. Chiefs and Broncos. Chiefs win 27 uh, to 23. Pat Mahomes shows that he's not only fantastic, he not only has all the tools, he's not only a blast to watch, but in a big moment on the road in a tough environment, he can get it done. And this is a Chiefs team that, and I know the Chiefs always tend to do this at this point in the season, but they've never had this guy under center. I think that uh, Pat Mahomes is going to take them places, if not this year, in the very, very near future. I agree with you. I also think this game this game might have showed that the Chiefs are a little bit human, that I think they do have some problems defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first three weeks, they looked like nobody was going to touch them or stop them ever. Denver did a better job of that. Obviously, 27 points isn't great, but it's compared to what Kansas City was doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, put them in a spot to win the ball game late. Um, I love the hook and ladder call Denver tried to run uh, on, on the last play of the game there. ended up not working, but whatever. Instead of trying to succeed on two plays let's take a shot on one i was cool with it but that was a fun game to watch and again i think it showed the chiefs are while still very good uh human a little bit yep there are some some cracks in armor no doubt uh that's the nfl whip around for the week we hope you enjoyed it and we hope you enjoy a full another slate of nfl football this weekend matt i know we get caught up in it but just take a deep breath. Be thankful. It's football season, and we love it. Uh, I'm already gonna, getting worried that we're you know so far through the season. Oh, shut up. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on here to uh, a little Cubs baseball. Obviously, not the way that you intend to finish a season in that fashion. Uh, two teams celebrating on your own uh, on your own diamond back to back nights, unable to get it done. Uh, to me, uh, to kind of do an NFL whip around quick take on this. Um, this was the Cubs this season. They were so streaky. It was a so microcosm of their season. That they just caught the wrong streak at the wrong time. And and the bats went completely cold, as it did multiple times throughout the regular season. I mean, they were... So the, the stat that keeps getting thrown around here is they finished one. The Orioles led the, led the majors with games of only one or no run scored at 40. Mm-hmm. The Cubs were 39 in second with 39. Yeah, you can't be that hot and cold. Let me finish. The Cubs were also fourth overall in most runs scored. So, yeah. So, they were literally the definition of an all-or-nothing type team, which is from what we've kind of said here since day one. Those aren't really the types of teams that get it done in the playoffs because that cold streak is going to come eventually and get to here. I mean, the the last four games of the year, they lost Saturday to a non-playoff team, a good team in the Cardinals, but they got shut down just one run. Sunday, they exploded for 10 runs. 
and then they went back to back of one run, one run. It's just I that was their three season. Runs in 30, I think that's three runs in 31 innings you talked yeah. about right there. Yeah. So um, that, that sort of futility is not going to get you anywhere. And even if they were able to squeak by either uh, the, the tie break or the wild card, uh, that sort of futility is not going to do anything in October. No. I don't care if you're playing the Brewers, the Red Sox, um, Oak Park Little League. You, you got to score runs. It doesn't matter. It's going to be an interesting offseason. Honestly, it's it's a lot like kind of what the Blackhawks went through after they won their first cup. They kind of had mm-hmm. a couple of years after that where you know they didn't look quite as good as they should with all the talent they had. It was trying to figure out which pieces are here for the long term, which we need to make tweaks to. And I think this will be the offseason where you'll probably see, I'm not saying they're trading Chris Bryant by any means, but you know a bigger name that we once thought was part of the Cubs core moved on. I mean, their, their top prospect right now is a 22-year-old catcher. Wilson Contreras just, you know, had a, an awful season at the plate. Yeah. There's just no way to put it. He was awful in in season. He was even worse down the stretch after the All Star break. Kyle Schwarber. He was was he's getting not. lazy behind the plate there too. Uh, I wouldn't say it in the in the wild card game, but in the tie break, he did an awful job of catching. He was not that he made a bunch of boneheaded plays, but there's such there's such a nuance to catching. He's where, not a great framer if, of the ball. Exactly. If a guy misses his spot, you got to make it look good. You know, you, you can't like if a guy misses his spot inside the zone and you're flailing to get to that ball, the ump's going to call it a ball just because of your reaction. Yeah, to he's it. like kind of yanking to get the ball instead of just kind of turning that maybe the glove five or six yeah. times, seven times the other night. You you can't do that as a catcher. I I, I think that so I'm not saying he's gone, but I would say that's absolutely a name that if I'm Theo. If I yeah. if I trust this kid they got behind him, which Theo always trusts his prospects, um, that that's a name I'm I'm calling people about, letting people, you know, make offers on Kyle Schwarber. I I think has to be gone. I don't really the, he, you you couldn't trust him to be in the lineup in the wild card game against the lefty, and then you didn't even trust him to pinch hit against a righty with the bases yeah. loaded. They went with Jason Hayward, and I mean talk about a fall from grace for this guy. I mean two years ago you were saying. You know, you can get the world from him from an AL team. Now you're saying, I mean, what are you even going to get for him back? What's an AL team going to pay for him? Not, I mean, something, but nothing of massive substance or something that's going to impact you immediately right away. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that it was I think that was a little mismanagement there uh, by Joe too. So I don't put all of that on Kyle Schwarber. I thought he yeah. should have taken. I thought he should have been taking hacks in that situation. Hundred percent. Oh, I would have had. Can't him up generate a run. You got a guy who can generate runs in one swing of the bat. But I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, as you said, some some changes coming. Uh, those changes not coming at the top. Theo coming out in support of Joe yesterday, saying, you know, Joe didn't Joe didn't uh, Joe didn't take any at bats the other night. Um, Joe Joe's fine. So I think he came out with a, uh, a resounding. I don't know about an endorsement of the job he did this year, but um, that it, of his job security. So I, think that, um, I do think anything kind of short of an NL pennant next year, uh-huh. he'll be gone because he's, he is entering the last year of his contract. And while he did say, you know, say for next year, they also haven't renewed him. And apparently neither side has really been all that jumpy to go, you know, let's, let's get this done. Let's knock it out. Extended, but I, yeah. I, I think both sides are kind of okay with it. And maybe it, again, we'll see what happens if they go out and win a world series next year. I think he'll probably want to be back and they'll probably want to have him, but who knows? I, I do think though I'm, I'm going to drop back to the Blackhawks. I, I, I think the Cubs are going to be just fine going forward. People keep saying, you know, the windows closing all that stuff. And I don't, well, I mean, you can make the argument in terms of pitching because, you know, John Lester's their ace and he's, he's not getting younger. Um, you don't know what you have in you, Darvish. If Cole Hamels is being brought back as a piece for the next two years, he's already 35. So in terms of the pitching, the window might be closing, but the hitting is still, there's still all that young talent in the lineup, and I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. And you can, we've seen in the past, you can go out and buy pitching. So I'm not too worried about where the Cubs are going long term. But, you know, hand up. This one's on me, Joe. All year long, I said they're fine. I said they're going to win the division. And they (laughs) didn't. So, you know, I will will, wear that. It's on me. We didn't hit the panic button soon enough, and now it's too late. What are you going to do? It's just, What are you going to do? Well, you You hate to see it. I'm going to lament over some uh, some Ryder Cup reaction here. Oh. Uh, we got to touch on it before we we say goodbye for another two years. Yeah, but uh, I just- woke up uh, or didn't even wake up on Thursday or Friday. I stayed up after work till one in the morning, had the Ryder Cup on, watched about two hours, hour and a half of it. Just watched them get tanned. Went took like I took like a 45 minute nap in my bed. Woke up. No, the first the first round, Joe. The first 18. Oh, you're talking about yeah, early first, rounds of yeah, Friday. Oh yeah, okay, first yeah. 18. I went first to. I, I, I fell asleep probably around the massacre began. 
fell, fell asleep around 6 30 or 7 in the morning like the up three to one and i was texting back and forth with with matt Seeger. i was like hey i'm gonna watch these first rounds i'll be up at work you know I'm, I'll, I'll send you some texts along the way so you kind of wake up to an update of what happened you do the same to me so i woke up the next morning at like 11 in the morning noon and was scrolling through my phone which is just like Oh God, what's going on? This is awful. This is so yeah. bad. It's so bad. It's so sad. And then I looked at this like, what the hell just happened? Well, and it's, it's come to light, obviously, uh, a, a, was it seven and a half point loss, 17 and a half to 10 and a half. So a seven point so. loss, I believe it was clearly um, some turmoil inside team USA. Yeah. It's come to light that the on-field product was a product of the off-field, uh, uh, mishaps and, uh, Dustin Johnson and, uh, Brooks Kapka apparently going at each other on the team plane even before the tournament started. Apparently, reports are saying that Jim Furyk was absolutely distraught over it because that's really, as a captain, there's so much pressure on you and, and your job is really just to put these guys in a position to succeed and you're already failing before you even get to the golf course. Then they go out there, they lay an egg. Patrick Reed uh, pointing fingers at Jordan Spieth and at Tiger Woods uh, and at Jim Furyk. It just... I think the reason why I always feel like the U.S. are underdogs in the Ryder Cup is because we have such amazing individuals, but those individuals have such large egos. And the Europeans are always able to put their egos aside for a three, four-day span and go out there and compete whether it be on foreign or, uh, or or local soil. And it's that's what makes them dangerous every other year in this Ryder Cup format. I think that that's why the U.S. was so dominant in one, two years ago, is because they had such a chemistry. They were able to find it. They were able to take the self take the take the individual out of it. And I think that Paul Azinger did a fantastic job in doing that for those guys. But when you have situations like this, when you got guys fighting on planes, guys who are workout partners and best friends, you're, you're not going to succeed. I don't care how well guys are playing. I don't care how well guys are hitting it. Um, there's so much momentum you need to build in a Ryder Cup, especially when you're on the road. And when Dustin Johnson makes a 65-foot putt, you're not getting the roars from the crowd. Those roars got to come internally. And if those guys aren't backing each other, you're done. You're absolutely done. See, I'm okay. It's The, the whole Brooks-Dustin Johnson thing is weird, and you don't, I definitely don't want that type of turmoil. But, like, they're also really good friends and close friends. And if they get into a fight or something on the plane, that's something I might be able to overlook and be like, oh, you, it's something you would might still expect them to be able to get over, if that mm. makes sense. Because I, I don't know if they could, or obviously maybe they didn't. I'm not really sure. But for me, this was just the old guard of the Ryder Cup. Just it needs to go away. Phil was terrible. Tiger, I love Tiger. Oh, Woods. you mean your wild card, Phil? Your yeah. wild card? He was the wild card. I said if he was good, they were going to win. If he sucked, they were going to lose. <laughs> I was right. That, that's the definition of a wild card. I like the fine print work there, Matt. That's good stuff. That's, son, son, yeah. son I, was, I was raised by two lawyers. Um, <laughs> Tiger, I mean, Tiger might qualify on his own in two years. If he's playing the way he's playing, if he doesn't take too yeah. big of a step, he might be in the top eight, which, okay, I'm not going to say no if he's back and all that, whatever. But I, last year's team, or two years ago's team had so much chemistry. It was a lot more of those younger, the younger guard that kind of fed off each other, like you were talking about. Uh, and I think it made a statement that, you know, your best players this week were Tony Finau, who was his first time there. He was a younger guy coming up. And then Spieth and Thomas played fantastic golf together. They really fed off each other's energy. And those are the types JT of guys. JT could have beat the Europeans single-handedly the way he was playing. He was fantastic. Spieth, is, Spieth that first day was making every putt he had. And he was, I mean, Jordan Spieth was their best player for a little while. Because I mean, Justin Thomas, that, that first 18, was he started really slow. And Spieth kind of carried him. And then it kind of flipped a little bit towards the end. And... Spieth, I know Spieth put a lot of stock in this competition, too, not only for pride of country, but he, he said it, uh, I believe, the day before, two days before it started, that Ryder Cups in the past have catapulted him into major championships in the following years. And yeah. he, not, he didn't have the most successful season this year on tour, and he wanted to really use this as a springboard. So hopefully from a personal standpoint, he does, but um, no one sprung with him. I, I mean, again, Justin Thomas and, and Tony Finau were really yeah, the only two for me that did. Um, yeah. I mean, a- after that, it was just it was an uninspiring performance. Patrick Reed's now complaining that he didn't get to play with Jordan Spieth and he feeds off Jordan Spieth. Boo hoo! You got to play with Tiger Woods. Well, and there were I guess reports came out saying that Jim Furyk came out and said that 
he explicitly requested to play with Tiger Woods. This was not this was not a blindsided of attack course. at all. He was begging to play with Tiger, so that's and, what changed. You know, Spieth. Some people I've heard be critical of Spieth for saying you should do what's best for the team. Well, all Jordan Spieth did was go out, and I think him and Justin Thomas were like three and one together. They didn't really lose much. Um, and, and Patrick Reed, I, mean, I don't care who you're freaking playing with. Don't shoot eighty five. Yeah, you can't like, on, honestly, he shot eighty. He had to. Have, they weren't keeping total score because it was alternate shot and you know match play, all that stuff. Best ball. He was completely rattled. He hit like he a, was rattled. He he couldn't make a putt all day when he was playing with Tiger uh, early in the Friday matches. He made like a little five footer to have a hole and did the shush to the crowd. Like he so just, it just wasn't. Up. It wasn't clicking. Like it wasn't clicking for him. And, there was a um, moment for me where this whole thing turned. I think it was on Saturday when, well, not not turned, but kind of was the stamp on it when I think Tiger and Dish and Bryson were playing against Molinari and Fleetwood. And I think they were the only one, they're kind of making a little bit of a run. They got the two back and Mol- it was alternate shot. Molinari goes in the water off the tee and Bryson DeChambeau keeps the driver out. Yeah. Goes right in the water. Dude, yeah. it, 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 part of that too, that's part of that's on Tiger. Part of that, if you're Tiger, you're like, dude, no, I'll break your driver before you hit that. Take a three iron, put it in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> I'm going to get us close. We need to win this. You don't take the driver out. It, I don't believe it was, if it was a par five, it wasn't a one you couldn't get away with having, you know, the three iron if you're a longer hitter and just put the iron in the middle of the fairway. Just let, let, let's make birdie. Let's make par from there because they're in yeah. the water. And that the, for me, when it was seeing that ball go off the tee into the water, that's when the Ryder Cup was over. Yeah, the, the veteran leadership, kind of the experience in that situation needs to take hold. And it, it didn't all weekend. It showed. It was a, it was a disjointed effort from the United States, and unfortunate because you know we love this competition, and it only happens every other year. So now we wait, and uh, it comes back to Whistling Straits. Now, Whistling Straits. I think so all local, credit local to track. the people putting together that course and, and getting it ready for it. They, they they did what they should. They they built that course to a European advantage. It was very tight, not all that mm-hmm. long, and if you weren't in the fairway, you were done. Now, yeah. that, that's great. They played to the Europeans' advantage. I, I would talk about my dad and brother Saturday morning. Have fun next, you know, two years when Whistling Straits is playing like 7,900 yards. I was going to say tipping out to okay. like 8,000 8, we're, we're, we're building new tees out into Lake Michigan to make this even longer. <laughs> have, have some fun trying to – and they, again, that was to their advantage. There's more, with, more than within the rules. They, they took advantage of it. Good for you. Now we're going to play our game. We'll be floating barges out into, yeah. into Lake Michigan. We're going to have 700-yard par fives. I, I don't want to obviously dig into this too deep, but um, in two years, when uh, when that Midwest crowd is cheering for European losses and European penalties and European mistakes, don't give me the high horse um, from, all these, from all these Euros because we heard that same stuff oh, yeah. going on this week in France. Um, I have no problem with it on either side. No, it's but the Ryder Cup. That's what you should be doing. Exactly. This is, Don't, the, uh, these, this is the one weekend a year you can do this in the waste management. It's yeah. the one weekend a year you can do it. Save, save your tears for another time because I, I, I really don't want to hear it. have no room for your tears. The wait continues, Matt, but uh, it'll be a, a wait well worth it. I know we'll have a lot of fans, a lot of people we know, and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of good times going on at Whistling Straits. So. Uh, and a lot of merch. I didn't buy any merch this year. It was good-looking uh, stuff. you, you got to wait to see if they win. I'm not going to buy Ryder Cup 2018 stuff if they lose. Yeah, you can't buy losing merch. Yeah. Ho- I, do have some, I do have a couple of Medina pieces. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be completely forthright, forthcoming ho- about that. Hopefully in Ryder Cup 2020 when we're on episode like 200-something, I'll be able to do a uh, – a live recap from the Ryder Cup, or you know, a, a have been on site recap from the Ryder Cup. I was going to say, who knows? Let's let's get there. You know, let's let's be let's be greenside. Let's maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a live pod from the Ryder Cup. There you Just go. What we're seeing, wishful wishful as always, but uh, we speak it into existence, Matthew. Huh? Uh, we we got to keep this thing trudging. Now we got uh, some NCAA football to talk and and locks of the week. Obviously, um, wasn't wasn't a, a weekend filled with fantastic matchups, but. Uh, the marquee matchups coming uh, in prime time between Ohio State and Penn State. A fantastic game, a fantastic finish. Trace McSorley's first loss in Happy Valley in his career to the Ohio State Buckeyes in a fourth quarter comeback. And the Notre Dame fighting Irish come away victorious over a tough Stanford squad. But Notre Dame looked fantastic. Ian Book looked like QB1. And how about our boy Nick Wisher getting in the end zone again? Friend On of the a podcast. Congratulations. Catch. Fantastic he made a fantastic catch. grab going Went up, up there, extended for it. Yeah, it's going to make for a great poster book to hang good. in his house one day. Amen, amen. But uh, you know, uh, it was um, 
it was more than underwhelming schedule, uh, but uh, we bounced back with, with some good matchups this week, I believe. Yeah, I don't know what the hell was going on with that play call for, for Penn State at the end. I don't care how well oh my the great option was working for you throughout the game. You don't call a run on fourth and five with the game on the line. You just don't do it. I'm sorry. Um, other than that, that's literally the only play of the game that I saw, so I can't really comment too much about it. Um, I did see every play of the Notre Dame game, however, so I, I'm more than welcome to answer any and all questions about that. Uh, thank you to Phil Goff <laughs> for coming on and leading yeah. us to another two to, to a 2-0 start at the night games. I think uh, he'll have to be on before Florida State. Um, <laughs> but Notre Dame, like you said, Ian Book looked like QB1. I, I, my main takeaways, though, were Dexter Williams is much more of a game changer than we thought. Uh, I believe on the pod, Phil... Uh, predicted around 12 carries for him that was before we knew Jafar Armstrong wasn't going to play and Tony Jones Jr. was going to get hurt uh Dexter Williams went off looked like an absolute star in the making at running back and local boy Miles Boykin the the Providence Catholic product uh absolutely went off made some huge catches on third down one-on-one coverage I think he had like 11 receptions 100 some yards uh he was also fantastic and there's not much more you can say about the defense than we already have but I think Jerry Tillery recorded four sacks. That defensive line, where, where they don't really have all the size in the world, man, yeah. are they fast. They get off the ball yeah. so quickly. The uh, the 5-0 and Irish will uh, stay in prime time this weekend, heading to number 24, Virginia Tech. Going to be another fantastic matchup, another uh, another measuring stick here for the Irish coming up. Uh, a couple other matchups in the top 25 coming I, your way this week. There I is, swore to uh, you, Joe, last year, I think it was on this podcast, after the Miami mm-hmm. game, that I would never buy into another Brian Kelly team before November. We bought in? I, man, it's hard not to. Got to do it. I'm got to do it. I think I'm ready to be hurt again. <laughs> well, uh, jump on board and uh, leave yourself vulnerable. We're looking at uh, LSU Florida this week in a top 25 matchup. Uh, we also have a, uh, a rivalry matchup between Texas and Oklahoma. Should be another good one that there. It's going to be fun. And then uh, a, I think a sneaky one. I know Nebraska's 0-4. They haven't showed much, uh, and they're going to Camp Randall, but... I don't know. Something tells me that there might be some competition on on Saturday in uh, in, in in Madison. So we'll see. But uh, some good matchups on the board this week. But uh, let's get to the actual board and give uh, fans our locks of the week, Matt. Because I know. Uh, well, my lock my lock of the week is picking against my pick. I, I hope okay. everybody knows that. I've been trying to. And help just uh, just to update up uh, just to update Matt, you're uh, you're what on the season? You're one in three, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. And I moved forward to three and one with a win last week. That's fine. Uh, a lot of don't time left my to play. Picks. A lot of time. Ride the Bears. Play. That three was safe. But uh, yes, plenty of time left to play. I'm going NFL as I usually do with my lock of the week. Uh, we we mentioned the matchup earlier in the pod, but uh, Kansas City only laying three at home against a tough Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Uh, I just think. KC, regardless of who the quarterback is, regardless of who the opponent is, that's the toughest place to play in the NFL, arguably. And uh, I like three as a small number there. I like Kansas City giving three to Jacksonville on Sunday. I, I like that pick as well because basically, like you said, with three, it's it's a low number. You're just pretty much picking them to win the game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go similar line. Uh, I'm going to take Baltimore on the road at Cleveland. They're only given three. I like what Cleveland's done so far, but with how Baltimore's playing on both sides of the ball, that defense looks like you know, the Ravens' defense as we grew up with. Joe Flacco looks fantastic. They finally have some weapons for him at receiver. Uh, I, I'm going to take Baltimore. I think they're one of the better teams in the AFC, and they're, they're going to win that division. And for our Chicago Bears, it's a bye week, not take, an off week. Uh, they actually did say it was an off week. It's a bye week, not an off week. I actually used that line on air the other day. Uh, We had Sacramento State's uh, head coach in in studio, and we were doing a little something with him uh, during the bye week. And uh, I said, it's a bye week, not an off week. And he absolutely ate that up. Just loved it. (laughs) Just loved it. He also was talking about their upcoming opponent, uh, Cal Poly, and how – you know, there's speed option, triple option, give you multiple looks, and I said tackle everybody. So I used a lot of the, lot of go. the good old, uh, good old a, Fen- a Fenwick adage and a and an eshism. So uh, we got go. them both in there. Yeah. yeah so making, creeping uh, into our everyday lives, it's terrible. Making them proud, making them proud. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Matt, let's uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, it's a fantastic time of year, and uh, we give you the floor now. We should probably get a little sting or something cooked up here because. I think that uh, do I have Matt's to have hockey, the floor for this one? Matt's hockey minute. Uh, Matt's hockey minute is back in force. The the, the Blackhawks uh, kick off another eighty two game campaign tonight, and hopefully it is one where they rebuild some greatness. Uh, last year, 
uh, definitely felt like a step in the wrong direction. But uh, Matt, you're here to get us up to speed on what we can expect uh, tonight and uh, and everything beyond with the Chicago Blackhawks in Matt's Hockey Minute. Ready, set, go. I, I think there's just a lot of unknowns with the Blackhawks. I, I don't think I know there's a lot of unknowns. Um, their top six forward depth looks like it's fine, looks like it's going to be where they want it to be, provided Jonathan Taves comes back. And I think that's going to be the big storyline because if he can't come back and have a good year after this year, there is no more he's played so much hockey you know, over the last few years. You can't make that argument anymore because he's had pretty much both the last two off-seasons entirely off. Um, the, the narrative coming out of camp has been this team's in the best shape we've ever seen them. You know, Stan 30. and Joel have both said that. I got a clock in front of me. I know that, Joe. Um, I, I, so we're going to see where they come out. I, I'm still terrified of their bottom six depth. I don't think there's much there. I, I don't really know what to expect about their defensive depth. I, I hope Duncan Keith has a bounce back year. Um, he's playing with Henry Yokiharu, their rookie first-round pick from last year. Hopefully that gives him some invigoration. No Corey Crawford to start the year. That's going to be trouble. They're going to need some help from their backups. And that's Matt's Hockey Minute in 58 seconds. The kid's a professional in midseason form, even before the puck drops. Uh, we're hoping for the best. And like you said, I think, uh, you know, you obviously have a much uh, deeper understanding of it. But um, I think this team could be in a really nice position within the conference if Corey Crawford gets back between the pipes. It's and, uh, the part of it that's tough for me, and I know this is outside of the minute, this is just discussion, the West is so good this year, and the division yeah. is so good. You've seen teams in the West go out and make impact moves. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, the Blues traded for. Sharks went out and got Eric Carlson. Vegas went out and got Max Pacioretty. I, it, Vegas is not a, a flash in the pan come out of nowhere from last year. They're, they're going to be around for a little while, provided Marc-Andre mm-hmm. Fleury doesn't stink. Um, all these teams went out and did stuff, went, went out and got better, and the Blackhawks just kind of, stayed there they just kind of said mm-hmm. well let's let's hope our guys bounce back and we get Corey Crawford back even with Corey Crawford last year they weren't you know they, they weren't a top of the division team they were a wild card team uh, so I'm a little bit worried that they're falling behind the pack uh, we'll see uh, all, all those Man. guys that that the that western team conferences went out and got were players that Stan could have gone out and got. They weren't too big of packages he couldn't have afforded, but he didn't go out and do it, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried they're just kind of resting on their laurels. Sounded almost like a borderline grievance there, Matt. It was not, but I have a grievance. Hit the music. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, just a quick one here, but uh, we're going to take it back to October baseball and overmanage. I feel like this is something we see a lot uh, throughout the regular season, but when it when there's so much on the line and you're seeing a team overmanaged, uh, it's definitely it's definitely unfortunate because guys bust their butt all season to then be put in a position where a game is overmanaged or managed incorrectly. I think that uh, Joe Mann got uh, a little cute in a couple of situations, and I know he was trying to generate a run, but I think that uh, John Lester needs to have the ball in his hand for at least eight innings the other night, and then I think you need to come with Cole Hamels right after that, not get too cute between. And then uh, out here on the West Coast, you got Bob Melvin last night trotting out uh, uh, relievers. You got him You got him going bullpen by committee, and I understand you had one of the strongest bullpens in the entire MLB, but playoff baseball is won by starters who can go deep into games, and I think you had a guy in Mike Fires who could have gone seven for you and kept you in that game better than three different relievers back-to-back-to-back. Uh, that's just not how you win baseball games in the postseason. I think there was a little bit of overmanagement there as well. So I think that uh, regardless of you know what decisions you made through 162 and Bob Melvin likely going to be the manager of the year with what he did with the lowest payroll in baseball and uh, and and being one of the most uh, explosive offenses, uh, you stunt growth sometimes when you overmanage. And I think we're we've seen a lot of over overmanagement, and I think we will continue to see a little bit of overmanagement through the postseason as uh, as analytics become a bigger part of it as. Uh, coaches become uh, bigger names and bigger faces and uh, I think that um, it's just something it's something it's not anything new but it's something that's always unfortunate to see when you see it I uh, I'm with you a little bit um, especially around this time of year I think we've seen you know managers 
kind of start to outthink themselves and think they need to get too cute when the answer kind of might just be sitting right in front of them without thinking too hard. Mm-hmm. Well, we got uh, we got some buy or sell sitting right in front of us, uh, and, and I don't want you thinking too hard. So why don't we uh, jump true. right in? No one wants me thinking too hard. Um, I'll start. I'll, you'll I'll start because I don't I don't have the greatest memory, Joe. But I do remember that when we did our preseason baseball predictions, I had a World Series of the Dodgers and the Astros. Mm-hmm. Both both are still alive. So I'm going to ask you: do, mm-hmm. do you buy or sell that my preseason prediction is going to come true? Uh, I'm going to sell it just because I think that. You would. Uh, I think that the American League representative is going to come out of this New York-Boston uh, uh, divisional series. I think that both of those teams are the two best teams remaining, and uh, I think that it's going to be it's going to be a blast to watch them go at each other's necks for hopefully seven games. But um, it's I, in my eyes, those are the two best teams. So I think that um, whoever comes out of that one will be able to take care of Houston and uh, and get to that matchup. But out of the out of the um, Excuse me, out of the uh, West. What is NL? It? NL, excuse me, out there of the go. West. There's the, um, a, the, the American <clears throat> League and then the National Yeah, you got mixed up with football, and I just got mixed up with baseball. So um, keep listening to the Moose and Ruins podcast. We, we know it all. We're smart, but, uh, I promise. Out of the National League, it makes sense to think that L.A. would get there, uh, the way Milwaukee's playing baseball, uh, and Colorado's kind of got a little bit of a Cinderella air to him. Nothing would surprise me out of the NL. But, uh, yeah, I just think that if you're giving me the field or that exact matchup, I'll take the field. Probably the smart bet. I don't really see, like neither league really has a massive favorite, in my opinion. All of all teams. I mean, I know Boston mm-hmm. had whatever 108 wins, but they have their holes too. I mean, Chris Sale's coming into the playoffs, not pitching all that great. You're not totally sure how healthy he is. Uh, you know, Houston has been kind of up and down all year. Cleveland's bullpen isn't all that great. You don't really know who's going to do what, and I, I think that's what makes this October especially a little bit more unpredictable than ones we've seen in the past. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, buy or sell uh, three weeks from now. I need you to do a little forecasting. That's um, tough. Everyone's That's lost tough. their mind over the Patriots early in the season. Oh, is the window closed? Is, are they? Is Tom done? Is is this uh, is this is this dynasty uh, fizzling? Uh, but now apparently reports are coming in. Josh Gordon's starting to find his footing. They really like what he's doing. You get Julian Edelman back this week. Buy or sell three weeks from now. The Pats are the highest ranked team in the power rankings, or let's let's call it in the top three of the NFL power rankings. That I'll buy um, because okay. I still think a few weeks from now the Rams might still be undefeated and be number one in everyone's list, but. Uh, you know, I said it last week. I'm never going to be the first one to rule the Patriots dead, and they they came out and you know won 38 to seven at home. I'm I'm always going to buy the Patriots until you know they give me reason not to, and they haven't given mm-hmm. me that reason not to yet. So I'm going to buy the Patriots. Buying the Patriots. Yeah. Okay, it's your turn. I forgot what I was going to ask you. Okay, Matt, buy or sell? Okay. Uh, the White Sox win total. Uh, 62 and 100 this year by ourselves the win total next year will be higher than this year they've now regret re- regret regret regressed in, in back to <laughs> i tell you they've regressed um they've regressed in back-to-back seasons now it's it's a rebuild i understand that but uh gotta start building on those wins as well by ourselves a higher win total next year Good news. I remembered my other one, so I can get to it after this. Okay. Um, Looking forward to that. I'm going to buy it because I think we're we're starting to see some of the more young talent come up. I do think they're going to make a, I don't know if it's going to be a a Manny Machado or Bryce Harper size splash in free agency, but I do think they're going to go out and be aggressive and, you know, take some guys that maybe have a little bit more risk attached to them, but some high reward as well. Eloy is going to be up next year. Uh, I think that's obviously only going to help them. Um, and I think you're counting on Yohan Moncada to, to you know take another step for Tim Anderson. I, I think you're hoping gets even a little bit better after a 20 and 20 year. So I, I think there's definitely reason to be optimistic. I think you're going to see some more of the pitching talent come up. Obviously, it's going to hurt not having Michael Kopech for a year, but they still have a lot of young talent. And hopefully, Carlos Rodon gets a full off season, a full spring training, so he can kind of go into next year at full steam instead of trying to have to jump in midway and kind of lose gas down the stretch. But I don't see any reason not to buy it because I, I, we've seen signs from them throughout the year that some of this young talent is ready to go. Perfect. And the division stinks. <laughs> Great analysis. Did you remember your last one? I did. I'm just so smart. Um, buy or sell this, you know, the, the, this 
you know, reiteration of the Red Sox Yankees rivalry. Is this, do you like this better than, than the ones we've seen? Is this the same fierceness we've seen in the past years? Is the Red Sox Yankees rivalry now officially back that we have this playoff matchup for the first time in, I think, 14 years? Uh, I don't know if I need to buy it, sell it, or otherwise, but I think that it's another chapter in this rich history, and I cannot wait to watch it. Uh, I've always said that postseason is better with the Yankees, postseason's better with the Red Sox, postseason's better with the Lakers, postseason's better with the Patriots. I'm not a dynasty hater. I'm not a history hater. These two teams are historic in their own rights, and then when you put them on the same diamond, it gets better. There's going to be moments. There's going to be controversy. There's going to be uh, A-Rod pontificating from the booth. There's going to be uh, Pedro not making much sense. It's going to be an absolute blast. So buy it, sell it, or otherwise. Don't care. I'm just excited. I think that's what I'm looking forward to about this, Rob. We talked about how it's just another chapter. I'm looking forward to kind of the new names and the new kind of faces of the mm-hmm. rivalry because, I mean, Aaron Boone wasn't a big name of the Yankees, but he was a, he's a big name in the face of this rivalry because of that walk-off home run. Derek Lowe isn't a big name in the history of the Red Sox, but he's a pretty big name in the face of the rivalry because he went out in Game 7 of that you know comeback and, and absolutely pitched his ass off. So I'm excited to see the new faces that kind of come out of the clouds and develop this new rivalry into what kind of we knew it was growing up if that makes sense it's gonna be a fun watch absolutely just like the moose and runes podcast or always a fun listen let me get to it matt will you let me get to it no i was gonna take us out there on a nice dramatic note and you ruined it that's you ruined it so say goodbye say goodbye to the people because i got nothing else you you got nothing else i got nothing else your friend parker carroll's getting married this weekend you want to like wish him good luck say congratulations well shut us down matt Shut us down. I got, I got Congrats, nothing. Congrats, Tacky. I'm happy for you, but Matt ruined my day and quite possibly your gift. So um, so we have that now. I'll just make up. I'll make up for the gift. All right. <laughs> the painting was a gift, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Moose and Moose listeners, we appreciate you guys as always here. Episode 60 or 74. Who knows? 70, episode yeah, 74. In Somewhere the in the uh, pre-100, post-50. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we're we're almost uh, we're almost uh, three quarters of the way to a hundred. I just had to do math quick in my head, and it hurt. So uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking now. And uh, good idea, Matt. Why don't you uh, Why don't you say goodbye to the people? Uh, let's enjoy the the bye week, not the off week, and let's uh, let's let's get ready to go. We're on to Miami. See you soon, folks. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.